Well, are you ready for the end of the world? There's lots of theories about how the world will end. Uh, environmental disaster, nuclear war, asteroid collision. But how do you get ready for that sort of thing? Uh, do you build a giant underground bunker and fill it with tin food? Uh, that's a lot of baked beans. Now, I don't think anyone here has actually done that sort of thing. Uh, and that's because the way that people say the world will one day end, we don't think that any of those ways will happen in our lifetime. So the end of the world, sure, it's a bit of a troubling topic, but it's not too troubling because it won't affect me. 2 Peter chapter 3 breaks into our false sense of security. And not by saying that the end of the world will happen in our lifetime. Now, Peter doesn't say when it'll happen, but Peter says that whether the world ends in our lifetime or not, when it happens, we will be affected. So Peter, 2 Peter 3 says that we could be dead for a million years before uh, when the world ends, but when it does, we'll be called up front and centre and our eternities will be sorted out. So I ask you again, are you ready for the end of the world? Now it's hard to answer that question unless you know what's going to happen when the world ends. Well in 2 Peter 3 we're told that the world as we know it will end on what's called the day of the Lord. In other words, when Christ returns. The second coming of the Lord Jesus, that's when the world will end. And Peter wants us to be crystal clear that on the day of the Lord, to end this world, there will be two main things that happen. The first thing he wants us to know is that the day of the Lord will bring destruction. So let's have a look at verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter says there, the present heavens, that's the stars, and the present earth, it's reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction. But before we look at this destruction a little more closely, just come back to verse 3. Peter wants us to be very clear that not everyone will believe this. Uh, there will be scoffers, and Peter wants us to know, look at verse 3 again, first of all, see how he really wants us to know this, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, I have to admit, I can sympathise with this. Uh, the scoffers are saying that the idea of Jesus coming back is laughable because each day comes and each day goes. Month follows month, year follows year. And it's true, isn't it? It's been happening all of our lifetime. It's been happening all of the lifetimes of the billions of people that went before us. Everything just goes on and on and on and on and nothing changes. And so the idea of it all coming to an end with the return of Christ and that that'll be the end of the world as we know it, there'll be people who find that laughable. There'll be scoffers. I mean, what do you think your neighbour is thinking when you tell them that Jesus is coming back one day? Peter wants us to know that there will be scoffers. He wants us to know so that we won't be swayed by them. Peter is adamant Christ will come 
The world will end. God will destroy it. He's done this sort of thing before. He'll do it again. Verse 5. But they, that's the scoffers, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In other words, God, by his powerful word, made the world. Verse 6. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. In other words, God destroyed the world. The idea of the end of the world, God's done this sort of thing before. And so he can do it again. Verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So previously God said he'd destroy the world, and he did it. He's saying now that he'll do it again, and he will. Nothing can stop Jesus coming back and bringing on the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Which raises the question, I think, of if he's definitely coming back to judge, then why hasn't he come yet? Why hasn't he come already? I mean, it has been 2,000 years since Jesus was here the first. That's plenty of time for him to come back. Why hasn't he? Well, from verse 8, Peter answers why Christ hasn't come back yet. And it's because time isn't the important thing in Jesus coming back. People are. God doesn't want people to perish. He doesn't enjoy destroying the ungodly. Christ hasn't come back yet because he's giving people time to turn back to him. Have a look at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So you and I might think that Christ is taking a long time to come back, but to God, the last 2,000 years, it's been like a weekend. In other words, time isn't the important thing to God in this. People are. People matter to God. Did you see that in the last sentence of verse 9? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. People matter to God. And so God's patiently giving everyone, giving you, giving me time, time to repent. Now, repent can be one of those religious words. Uh, it just means do a U-turn. Uh, like what those road signs you see that say wrong way, turn back, you're going the wrong way down a one-way road, so you need to turn around and go the right way. Well, God tells us that we've all gone down the wrong way when it comes to how we live. The right way is to centre our entire lives around him. He made us. He owns us, he's loved us, but instead of honouring him as our God, we've all turned our back on him and gone our own way. And so we live as if he's not there, we pursue our own dreams and our own desires. We tell the God of the universe to back off and to stop interfering in our lives. And we might do it politely, we might do it intentionally, we might do it without even noticing it, but we all do it. And for our acts and our thoughts of rebellion against God, he will judge. He can't just let our sins go. Like a judge can't let a murder go. Uh, just like a school principal can't let a student swearing at a teacher go. 
Just like a parent can't let their child's bullying of other children go, God can't let our sin go. It must be punished. But God doesn't want people to perish. God's merciful. He loves to save people. That's what we're reading here. And it's the very reason why Christ came the first time. To die in the place of sin is to take their punishment for them. He died on that cross and he dealt with sin so that anyone who repents, anyone who admits their sin and genuinely asks for forgiveness, God promises to wipe away their sin, to forgive them. He promises that he will save them on the day of judgment when Christ returns. They will not perish. They will not be destroyed. So why hasn't Christ returned yet? It's because he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I need to ask you, have you repented? Have you taken advantage of God's patience? Because even God's patience will run its course. And we don't know when that day will be. Have a look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The thing about thieves is you never know when they'll strike. I mean, if we did know when a thief was going to come, we'd be ready, so they wouldn't steal anything, would we? You just don't know when a thief will come. Just like we don't know when Jesus will come. And so now is the time to repent. When he comes, it'll be too late because he comes to destroy the earth and to judge the ungodly. And so if you haven't turned back to God yet, today is the day to do it. God doesn't want you to perish. God loves to save. He wants everyone to come to repentance because God has promised a new creation to all those who do repent. And God loves to give good gifts. He loves to shower people with his eternal blessings. The day of the Lord will not just bring destruction, but the day of the Lord will also bring a new creation. And God wants people to be there for it. He doesn't want people to perish. He's promised an eternal home of righteousness for his people. Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The day of the Lord will bring a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And Peter describes it in verse 13 as a home of righteousness. Back in chapters 1 and 2, Peter has characterized this world as by its corruption. Uh, this world is filled with evil and rebellion against God. It's filled with strife and wickedness and injustice and exploitation. But the new heavens, the new earth, the new creation, it's the home of righteousness. When Christ makes the world anew, it, it'll be filled with peace and love and goodness. It'll be a place where everyone delights in God and his good and perfect ways. It'll be a place where selfishness is unheard of, where sadness and tears and sickness and death are unknown, but where joy and gladness and laughter and truth overwhelm us. 
It's the home of righteousness. And for those who've repented of their sin, asked for God's forgiveness because Christ died to wipe away their sin, for the people who belong to God, this is what awaits them on the day of the Lord. A new creation. Our home of righteousness. It's what we're looking forward to. It's why in verse 12 Peter says that we're looking forward to the day of God. We can look forward to it because it's not just the day of destruction, but verse 13 Peter says, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We're looking forward to the home of righteousness. Last Saturday uh, our family went to Orange to take Catherine to the women's convention uh, up there and uh, Justin, my eldest son, couldn't wait to go because every year the whole family goes and uh, I and, and my children spend the day with my brother Greg and his children who live in Orange. Greg's oldest son is right into Star Wars and so is Justin. Uh, and every year they spend all day playing imaginary Star Wars games, they build Star Wars Lego, they read Star Wars books and Justin, he's died and gone to heaven, so to speak. In the week before last Saturday, Justin was like a cat on a hot tin roof. Every morning without fail, he'd wake up and say, what day is it, Dad? And then he would count how many days till Saturday. Every night he would be talking about what he's going to do with Ben when he gets to Orange. He was really looking forward. And we're really looking forward to the new creation. Aren't we? Justin could understand a day with his cousins and Star Wars. He could understand that enough to be captivated by it. Do we understand the day of the Lord enough to be captivated by it? If you're finding it hard to be enthusiastic about Christ's return in your daily life, either you're not ready for it or you don't understand it enough. And one way you can tell if you understand Christ's return enough is if it changes how you live right now. Because if you're looking forward to the day of the Lord, well, you'll be making every effort to be there. Verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. If you're looking forward to the day of the Lord, you'll make every effort to be there and to be at peace with Christ. Now, we need to be clear here, Peter's not saying that being good is what gets you into heaven. Uh, Christ alone, by his death for our sin, he is the one who can bring us into his new creation. But we don't ask for his forgiveness. We don't repent of our sin and then thumb our nose up at him and just keep living sinfully. That doesn't make sense at all. No, as we wait for him, we live for him. We're looking forward to the new creation. We're looking forward to Christ's return, and so we're making every effort to live for him now. If you're looking forward to a trip to Sydney, uh, I don't know, maybe the ballet, uh, the football, a concert, if you're looking forward to a trip away, you don't wait until the day and then start making preparations, do you? You've got lots of effort beforehand. You book your accommodation, you buy your ticket, you organise your transport, you're looking forward to the trip, and so you go to lots of effort. We're looking forward to Christ's return. And so we're to be making every effort to live for him. But if you're not looking forward to the new creation, if you're not anticipating Christ's return, don't be surprised if you find yourself a bit stale as a Christian. 
and you're not making every effort to be there. Brothers and sisters, if this is you, if you're falling asleep at the wheel of Christianity, you need to wake yourself up. Christ is coming back. We'll be saved from the day of judgment and destruction. He is going to take us home to righteousness. We need to remember these things. We should be preaching these things to ourselves. We need to take control of our minds and we need to fill them with the glorious truths of Christ and his glorious return and his new creation so that you will remember every single day and you will look forward to the day of Christ and you'll live gladly for Jesus as you wait for him to come back. But it's not just our own thoughts and motivations we've got to be wary of. We also need to be on guard against false teachers because if you get carried away by them, you'll turn your back on Jesus and miss out. Have a look at verse 17. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. We thought about this last week, didn't we? There'll be false teachers around telling lies about Jesus. And so we need to know what is true and we need to know what isn't true so that we don't get carried away by false teachings about Christ. Eternal life is at stake. We need the true knowledge of Jesus and we need to be growing in that knowledge. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now right throughout this letter, Peter's been beating this drum of having the true knowledge of Christ because false knowledge leads to judgment and destruction. True knowledge leads to eternal life. So let's again, as we thought last week, let's be the people who grow in our knowledge of Christ. Let's be reading and understanding and digesting our Bibles so that we will know what God has said in the Bible about his Son and we'll be continually reminded of the day of the Lord so that we'll look forward to it and we'll live for the world to come, not live for this world. In 2009, Harvey Schwartz owned the business called 20th Century Props. Uh, he'd spent almost his entire life devoted to building up the business. It was the collecting of the props that were used in Hollywood movies. But in 2009, it went out of business. Uh, there was a dry spell in, the, in, uh, in uh, film production. Hollywood was changing the way it was making its movies. And so 20th Century Props closed down. Everything was auctioned off. Just before the auction, Harvey Schwartz was seen standing amid all the props, sobbing. And he was quoted as saying, I ran out of money three months ago and I don't know what else to do. It's terrifying. I've devoted my entire life to something that is over. Friends, one day this whole world will be over. So don't make the mistake of devoting your life to something that will one day be over forever. Instead, let's devote ourselves to the one who lives forever, the one who's coming back to bring an eternal new creation. Let's devote ourselves to him because we're looking forward to a new heaven, a new earth. We're looking forward to the home of righteousness. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the sure promise that your son will return. Thank you that he came the first time to die for sin, to rise again, so that we could be sure of eternal life. And so, Father, we pray that we'll always be the people 
who have repented of our sin and we follow the Lord Jesus and we seek your forgiveness in his name. Father, we pray that as we wait for him, we'd be filled with great longing. We would anticipate him. We would gladly live for him. Father, we pray this so that all the glory goes to your son both now and forever. Amen.